Hello everyone and welcome to the Africa Museum podcast, the podcast channel for the Royal Museum for Central Africa in Belgium. My name is Gabrielle Fenton and for this series I've been walking around the museum's labs, offices and archives to meet with scientists who work here. Each scientist had to choose one object that is somehow related to their research. It could be an object that they have worked on or with, or an object that simply carries a bit of their passion for their field. Some of these objects are on display in the museum, others belong to the nitty-gritty of everyday research. All of these objects have an interesting story, and that is what we are out to find out. Is it possible to hear the voices of the speakers of Bantu languages 50 years ago through the scribbles of a linguist? A lot of research in the museum is based on fieldwork, and notebooks are crucial to fieldwork. But what do scientists actually write in their notebooks? And what do they write that doesn't find its way into academic articles? Let's find some answers to these questions by taking a closer look at an old load book with Maud DeVos, who is a linguist here at the museum. Africa Museum podcast. Okay, hello Maud, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. And so we're here to talk about uh, a special notebook. Um, Would you like to describe to us the notebook? Um, Yes, well it's a a little old-fashioned notebook and it's got a, a note on it saying that it's a Lega notebook. And it's full of notes in pencil and in, in pen. Uh, it's entirely numbered, even the, the cover is numbered. And it's full of language notes. And the language notes are by Meusen. He was the first linguist in the Africa Museum. And so how old would this uh, notebook be? Uh, this particular notebook, well, we on the first page, we can see the date. It's It started on the 5th of September in 1955. So it's from 1955. Yes. And where would it have been? Uh, where would Musen have been taking the notes? For? Um, when he took the notes, he was in the Democratic Republic of Congo and in the eastern part in the Maniema region doing field work. He was working on the languages spoken in that region, and one of those languages is Lega. And, and so, uh, what, so Mewson, you said, was the first linguist here at the museum. Um, what, when you read these notebooks, what do you find out about Mewson as a person? What kind of a man was he? Um, well, that's a... That's a good question, because actually, how do we know Meusen? He was a, a very important Bantuist, so working on Bantu languages, and we know him as every um, scientist through his publications, but his publications tend to be very concise. So he was a scientist who never wrote one word too many. And so for a non-linguist, it's impossible to read his articles and his grammars. For the linguists, it might even be hard, because there's nothing too much. There's not not one explanation that is um, not needed. I mean, so you have to be very independent to read his publications. But then in the notebooks, um, you see 
a different person. You kind of see uh, how he worked, um, how he went about to study the language, and you also see the contact he had with the language consultants, so the people speaking um, the language, and you also see that he was very interested in the, the the people speaking the languages and their culture. So there you get the, the frills and the, the extra things that are missing in the articles he wrote um, later on. So you get more information. So is there is there any particular part of our uh, writing in the notebook that you would like to share with us or some of these extra notes that you're talking about? Uh, yes. Can, could, you, could you show us some? Yes, well, well. first, um, I think, and it might be very, sometimes it's very short, you see, he has also written down some of the comments that the, the, um, the people themselves had about his way of, like, like if you do linguistic fieldwork, then usually you also try to, to make some sentences yourself. So if he's working on Lega, he would uh, try to make a little sentence himself. And then he has written that down. But then the language consultant said, well, yes, uh, c'est du Lega, mais pas vraiment du bon Lega. Donc, alors, uh, so he said, like, well, that's Lega, yes, but it's not very good Lega. Or on another occasion, um, working on another language, it's Bangu Bangu language. Then he says, he puts a note aside, like there was a form, Chu, and he was working with a lot of language consultants, and then they all said it's Chu, but then um, they all said it's two, and one older man said, no, it's Chu. And later on he said, well, okay, leave it be, so we make it two. But these kinds of extra notes, by where you hear the voice of the language consultant, the speaker of the language, are, are very nice, and you find them in the notebook, but not necessarily later on in the grammar. Um, can, can you can you just explain to us what a language can, consultant is? Just That's how we call, it's actually our co-workers, the people speaking uh, the languages we work on and that are essential to our research. We wouldn't be anywhere without them. So, so um, yes, so we get our information about the language from them. Um, I'm, I'm curious, obviously I'm not a linguist and I'm not a Bantu speaker either and I'm guessing that a lot of people who who are um, listening to this aren't either. So what would you say uh, is, why would non-linguists and non-Bantu speakers should be interested in uh, in, Lega lang in a Lega language, for example, or in other Bantu languages? Um, well, there's different reasons. Um, one, one of the reasons is that uh, a lot of these languages um, are oral languages. Uh, this means that they are not written down. So um, the fact of writing them down and have, uh, taking notes of them um, means that there will always be traces of this language. And this language might disappear because in, there's a lot of urbanization going on in Africa. So a lot of people are moving around, they are going to bigger cities and they might not speak the language of their village anymore. So that's the first reason. It's a trace of, of, a, of, a, of a language and thereby also a trace of a whole culture. And um, But another reason is um, one of the things that I noticed when working with students or visitors to the museum is that there's this um, persistent idea about um, African languages in general and then 
more specifically about Bantu languages, that they are somehow simple languages. So primitive languages even. And so people often, and I don't say all people, but many people often think that African people speak like, well, I run church and they don't inflect anything and they just by adding yesterday make a past tense and that's not true at all these these bantu languages are very complex languages i don't mean to say more complex than the languages we speak but they have their own complex grammar like any language has and they are for us often even um, very complicated because they also have some something like tone so they're tonal languages and so they they make grammatical differences for example the difference between a past tense and a present tense they might make just by changing the tone um, i don't know a lega example but i know an example from languages i worked on uh, uh, makwe is such a language it's spoken in mozambique it's a bantu language also and there you would say for a present tense you would say nawena but then if you want to make a past tense, and that means I am going or I go or I will go. But then if you want to make it in the past, you have nawena. And so that is I went, I used to go. So you have nawena and you have nawena. So and it's only the tones that, that will teach you this difference. So for us that makes it very complicated. And and I think it's important. I mean it changes the way people think about other people and it might also learn us to respect other people a bit more. And Musin um, was very good at picking up these tones as I yes. right? Yeah. Yes, he was a specialist. He was one of the best. And he also um, kind of, we know he chose his co-workers uh, in function of their ability to hear tone. So if you were good in tones, then you might well have get a job with Musin. But if you weren't, then that could be very difficult. <laughs> Yes. And so um, this notebook obviously is, is Moosin writing down uh, language, yes. um, but Lega is an oral language, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering um, how, is, like, is there a paradox in sort of writing down an, a language that is oral? Or are we losing something or yeah. how do linguists go about that? Um, well. As a, as a matter of fact, writing down any language is losing part of it. I mean, we are so used to it that we don't think of that in those terms. But um, as soon as you write something down, you kind of, um, yes, you, you, you make something that's always changing into something that doesn't change anymore. So that's what we do when we write it down. But often that's the only way to keep something so to keep a trace of of something and as a as a linguist what we are very careful about is that when we when we write a grammar is that we we take a synchronic view so that means that it's one moment in time so we work um in for like for lega for mason in the 1950s and then it's a it's a um so the the way he describes the language is the way the language was spoken at that particular moment by those particular people and it's he doesn't want to make a normative grammar he doesn't want to say this is the way lega is spoken and the way everyone should speak lega and that's 
um, how grammars of French and Dutch are often conceived. I mean, that's we just want to tell people how they should speak, but that's not the case with the, with the way linguists write a grammar. They just say that's the way the language was spoken at that particular moment. And we don't think of anyone making any mistake. So nothing is a mistake. In normative grammars, often you feel like, oh, the way I speak is wrong, but it can't be if you make a synchronic grammar of a of a language. It's just the way it is spoken at that particular moment. And then ideally, well, Mason also did that. He made recordings. So, and audio recordings, ideally now when we do the research, you also have video recordings. So you can even, you have the written version, but you can even see and hear the language being spoken, not only read the language being spoken. So you have everything, even movements of the of the body of the hands uh, you can see everything that accompanies language use and i think musen has a kind of also describes this visual gesture part in in his notebook right yes yes yeah uh, that's uh, um that's also a very nice part in 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 his notebook so um uh yes i think i i I see it here. So then he was working, for example, he works on, on um, he works on every part of the grammar. So he have to go, he has to go through nouns, demonstratives and everything, and also numbers. And I always find numbers extremely boring, like it's the mathematics entering the language and, and I don't, mostly don't like it. And so, but it's necessary. I mean, you have to record the language, so numbers are also spoken, so you put them in. But what Mason did was that he also describes the way people um, sign numbers when, um, how they, with their fingers. So um, he, for every number from one to 10, he gives a description of how they hold their fingers to sign this number. And, and, um, so, for example, the number eight is not, I think most people here would, would put up one hand and show five fingers and put up a second hand and show three fingers to, to make eight. But um, the Lega people would show twice four fingers, for example. Those are little differences, but you see he also um, writes that down and actually that's just writing down something that is very visual uh, in the notebook. And so now a question that isn't really about Mewson, but more about you and, and how and you've been uh, a linguist for quite a long time now. Yeah. And um, I was just wondering, um, is there, when you're in your everyday life here in Belgium, are there words or grammar structure from uh, the Bantu languages that you study that you feel, oh, uh, if only I could use this word in this particular situation, and and you can't because obviously it's not it's not French or Dutch or, or English. Yes, yes, there was uh, there's one particular word I I think of, and um, I recorded it when doing research for my PhD. That was in in Mozambique on on the Makwe um, language, a Bantu language. Um, I stayed there a long time, twice eight to nine months, and I did most things together with the people to get the vocabulary. And so we went out working on the field one day and we returned when the sun was setting. And so we went downhill and suddenly, I don't know why, I returned 
I, I turned around and then what I saw was the last rays of the sun falling on top of the trees. And then um, it made me think of, of this kind of light in, in Brussels when the last rays of the sun fall on top, not of the trees, but then of the buildings. And then underneath there's only shadow. And so I started kind of in an excited way explaining this to, to the woman I was uh, working with. And I said like, oh, I find this so beautiful, this last rays of the sun and then everything else is already in the shadow. And then she just looked at me very simply and she said, well, oh yes, 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 I know. And so, and I was so amazed. I thought like, well, I've, I tried to explain this in like 10 sentences and she just has one word for this thing that is so beautiful. And then I think, why don't we have a word? Because so it is so beautiful. It's actually, it's a compound, so, and literally, but it's a compound, it's one word, it's a compound as we, like football, uh, is, is one word, but still you know what, a, what the different parts are, but it's kind of the side of the sun, but it's used really for these last rays of the sun, so very poetic actually, but we need a poem, they have yeah, words. Yeah, Wow, so um, that this is about the the end of this podcast. But um, would you, if if people would like to learn more or find out more about Musun or about Bantu languages, what what would you recommend they do? Yes, well, if they want to find out more about Musun, they really have to come to the Africa Museum because I think that's the only place where they can learn more about him. There is. A zone in the Africa Museum that's on languages and music and in there there's one showcase on Meusen because he was the first linguist in the museum and, and was a very important linguist for Bantuists all over the world now. And then also, well, this zone on, on African languages and on, 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 on music is completely new in the museum. There was nothing of the sort in the old museum. There were music instruments but they were displayed as ethnographic um, as ethnographic objects um, and there was nothing about languages so you can come to the museum and you can not only um, read things about Mewson but you can also hear um, Bantu languages being spoken and you can also learn a bit about this complex grammar I was talking about. There are some games that, um, that, that let you, that show you how uh, 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 Bantu language works. So. And I think you can see one of the notebooks also. Yes, right? the notebook uh, I, I have been talking about is displayed in the in the showcase on on Mason together with other um, kind of uh, articles by him. Well, thank you very much. Was... That was very interesting. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Africa Museum podcast. Goma in the DRC is going through a rapid demographic expansion meaning that a lot has to be built to keep up with the growth. But how do you transport building materials on roads that are unfit for cars and lorries? If you want to hear about the people of Goma's solution to this, join us next episode to talk with Théodore Treffon, who is an expert in governance and natural resource management at the museum. This series is brought to you by the Royal Museum for Central Africa in Belgium which is a museum and a cross-disciplinary scientific institution with over 80 scientists from biology, earth sciences and social sciences conducting research on Africa and its heritage around the world.